Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Marsha Blackburn's going to be coming up uh, live this hour. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West in the latest with Texas. Is he rag fact running for governor? And what about Texas taking things into their own hands at the border? They're so frustrated with the lack of effort and so overwhelmed by the illegals streaming across the border. What can they legally do? Uh, we're going to talk to Alan West about that. Uh, of course, it's a big day as we see the president of the United States. He's going uh, from Brussels. He's going to uh, Switzerland. He is going to be talking to Vladimir Putin tomorrow. He's preparing heavily for that one-on-one summit. But they're not going to have a joint press conference after. Maybe that's a good move. Maybe it's not. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I thought I, I landed in a country where I can say what I believe and have my you know, freedom to think. However, now I end up in a country, I have to constantly censoring my speech. If America is not free, I think there's no place else is left that is free. That is so true, and that's Yanomi Park. You might not know her, but you'll hear about her story. She escaped North Korea, went across the Gobi Desert, got captured, sold into slavery, found a way to get out, went to a South Korea university, transferred to Colombia, and now she is uh, astounded by how woke America is, and not in a good way. You heard her, a North Korea defector who has just given up, given us a reality check. Somehow, we may have given an open forum to America's enemies. Why did we do that? We are firing within our own tent. They hate our culture, our history, and they try to police our speech and defund our cops. Count the woke culture out in terms of me being attending that. Number two. I have met with him. He's bright. He's tough. And uh, I have found that uh, he is a, uh, as they say, when he used to play ball, a worthy adversary. Well, that's a little bit different, isn't it? Inside the NATO summit, en route to the Russian showdown. Awkward moments, lack of press access, but playing intramural politics on the global stage. Was it necessary to attack Republicans yesterday? Let's just say the bar is pretty low for the Biden-Putin meeting tomorrow. Number one. I didn't think it was biologically plausible that COVID-19 went from a bat to some unknown animal into man. That's not consistent with how other coronaviruses have come into the human species. And that's Robert Redfield. We have not heard from him in a while. He sat down with Mark Siegel, rattling the Wuhan bat cage. Yes, bats seem in the Wuhan lab. Their bat woman speaks out from China. And what she does not say is significant as we zero in on what could have happened in 2019 that unleashed this invisible killing machine. And now, sadly, we passed the mark of 600,000 Americans dead. And at least you think we could find out how it happened. We found out the military came in and cleaned everything up right away. We also found out since denied that three lab workers had come in ill from the COVID virus, it seems, with the same exact symptoms uh, back in, I don't know, 2019 in November. But they told us it didn't hit until December. How could that be? 
Now we have the New York Times interview the virologist in China, the number one, the so-called bat lady, Shin Zingali, from the Wuhan Institute. How outraged she is that we, in a rare interview, that we are even assuming this came from a lab and didn't happen in a wet market. Well, they wiped out all the clues. Uh, they cleansed the entire uh, uh, area. They wiped out the data. And you wonder why we still have questions? Are you kidding? Unbelievable. Meanwhile, Dr. Robert Redfield, former head of the CDC under Trump, is speaking out now about what he believes happened with this virus and how it came to our shores. Cut one. There's an alternative hypothesis that it went from a a bat virus, got into a laboratory where in the laboratory it was uh, taught, educated, it evolved so that it became a virus that could efficiently transmit human to human. My professional opinion as a virologist is that's where that's the hypothesis that I support. You know, other individuals, Tony Fauci, for example, would say that he prefers to support that evolved from nature. I think those are the two hypotheses. So this Dr. Shinkali, in an email interview, which means you had plenty of time to curate it, how on earth can I offer up evidence for something there is no evidence for? I don't know how the world has come to this, constantly pouring filth, on an innocent scientist, my lab has never conducted or cooperated in conducting gain-of-function experiments and enhance the virulent viruses. They don't do that. There's no longer a question of science. It is speculation rooted in utter distrust. I'm sure that I did nothing wrong, so I have nothing to fear. You did nothing wrong. Did anyone else in the lab do anything wrong? You're a supervisor. You're actually doing this function? And then you say there was no bats in this Wuhan lab? And the Australians, Sky TV, produced video of Australians in your lab? More from Redfield. Cut to. I didn't think it was biologically um, plausible that COVID-19 went from a bat to some unknown animal into man and now have become one of the most infectious viruses to man immediately. That's not consistent with how other coronaviruses have come into the human species. What's crazy is that Dr. Redfield couldn't come out and speculate about this right away. Social media and mainstream, uh, many media outlets were offended by this type of hypothesis, which came out in a CNN interview later on. When I I inquired about interviewing him, they said, no, he's not doing anything. So Dr. Siegel, a person who's very respected in his field, was able to get that interview. Jamie Metzl, who's one of the first whistleblowers to this process, first thing out of his mouth, I work for Clinton, I'm a progressive, but at least Fox was somebody who would put on uh, me, who's talking about what he knows about gain-of-function research and how the makeup and sequencing of this virus seems to be manufactured. Nine. The fact that we have no access to the record samples or the key personnel from this lab, that's the question. If on day one they had said, hey, we have an outbreak in Wuhan, we know this is suspicious because we don't have horseshoe bats in the wild, at least in Wuhan, but we have China's only level four virology institute with the world's largest collection of bat coronaviruses. We know this looks fishy. That's why we want an international audit on day one. Instead, what have they done? Hidden records, destroyed samples prevented any meaningful investigation. So now, a year and a half later, it's just not credible to say, trust us. That's why we need a full investigation. And China is only causing itself more problems. It's making itself look guilty. Maybe they're not even guilty. We don't know. But we need a full investigation. We've needed it from day one, and we need it now. 
So the guy, Dr. Uh, Peter Dosick, is just covering for the Wuhan lab. He wants to attack anybody that brings up a Wuhan lab leak as the cause of the virus that killed millions, including 600,000 Americans. Think about the lives that were affected. Everybody listening to me right now's lives were affected. Little or, or, or a lot affected. Uh, for a year and a half. I mean, we still can't get answers. The fact that we want answers, China's insulted by. The fact that the rest of the world doesn't want the same answers we have, even though the people do, but the governments don't, I find astounding. So I don't want to take too much time away from Senator Marsha Blackburn because she's going to, to pursue this. And now the uh, I do want to get her take on what's got at stake with Vladimir Putin. So uh, taking a look at uh, the meeting tomorrow. Right now, Joe Biden was in Brussels. This is how he described Vladimir Putin, a little bit different from when he called him a killer, right? Come 14. I have met with him. He's bright. He's tough. And uh, I have found that uh, he is a, uh, as they say, when he used to play ball, a worthy adversary. Not sure that uh, people say that before they play ball. Hi, uh, I'm going out of my baseball game to to play against a worthy adversary. Joe Biden, kind of struggling through the press conference. He did get the answers out, but, man, there were some long pauses. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin is such an interesting person to interview, and I believe he's a, a, a terrible person. My hope is that uh, the Russia that, that we were used to before Vladimir Putin took power is the one we'll get when he finally leaves power, but I just don't know when that's going to be. So he's accused of being a killer. He's accused of being a hacker. He's accused of infiltrating our elections. And instead of no, 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 listen to what he says. Cut 15. Are you waging a cyber war against America? Where is the evidence? Where is proof? It's becoming farcical. We know it well. We have been accused of all kinds of things, election interference, cyber attacks, and so on and so forth. And not once, not once, not one time did they bother to produce any kind of evidence or proof. Well, he did try to infiltrate the 2016 election, and our political process allowed that whole thing to be magnified to the point where the the role they played was so minor, but we blew it out of proportion in order to damage Donald Trump. The hacking is very real. It came from inside their country. Therefore, he is responsible. He kills anyone with a negative uh, who has uh, has a negative utterance against him. He uses poison. Will you really think that he would allow these hackers to take root and attack other countries without attacking his, without his permission? No way. But he doesn't outward deny it. He says, where's the proof? Isn't that interesting? Gave a 90-minute interview to NBC. Isn't that fascinating? I am. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty fascinated by the fact that he is that confident because he's dealing with another American president. And one I think he feels he's going to get on top of. Here's the thing. We have to make sure that he knows that we are capable of returning the favor. And I mean that sarcastically if they attack us again. They got our energy. They got our food supply. Soon they're going to go for our power grid and beyond. How much more are we going to take? We have to let him know that's not going to take. I would love for him to say, upon further review, Ukraine is part of NATO. We need you to get out. That would have been a bold move that would have got Vladimir Putin's attention. He does not want a war with us, but he likes acting like a tough guy, hitting way above his economic weight and his, I guess, his uh, his alliance with China is going to be an issue. When we come back, an interview with Senator Marsha Blackburn on her take on this, then Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It is a shock and surprise that what's happened in terms of the consequence of President Trump's phony populism has has happened. And it is disappointing that so many of my Republican colleagues in the Senate, who I know know better, have been reluctant to take on, for example, an, an investigation because they're worried about being primary. Right. Uh, and by the way, does Joe Biden know better than Elon Omar to compare America to the Taliban and Hamas? Yeah, I think he knows better. Did he call them out? No. If people have a problem with elements of Donald Trump, that's true. But for the most part, they look at how much better the country was uh, under Donald Trump. He's a conservative Republican. He wasn't selling his soul. He was being Donald Trump. And I was really shocked to see Joe Biden, with all his decades of experience, segue into domestic politics on the world stage. With Senator Marsha Blackburn, uh, she is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee and Armed Services Committee, as well as a Tennessee senator. Uh, Senator, were you surprised to see Joe Biden go there? Uh, Joe Biden is going to always look for a pivot point, and Brian, we we know that. And when it comes to being able to cast some kind of negative cloud over conservatives or over former President Trump, that is the path that he is going to take. And he decides that that is something that is going to strengthen him. I mean, we can look at any number of places that he has gone since he was president. Has he said one word about thank you for Operation Warp Speed? Has he commended the scientists that did that work? Has he said there is a crisis at the border? Maybe we should return to the main remain in Mexico policy? 
Of course not. Has he said on this trip that he's going to, you know, NATO countries, it is important that you continue the level of support that you had committed to because that is fair to the American people. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do America first. He does America last. And I also heard that he told everybody, uh, don't bring up Abraham Accords, say peace agreements, because Abraham Accords is Trump. And you think about with Saudi Arabia, which was on the which was on the on deck circle to join to recognize Israel in exchange for trade, uh, Bahrain, uh, Sudan, and everything like that. So he says, "Don't bring that up." So he's being extremely petty. To your point, here's more of what he said about Republican leadership. Cut twenty. I think it's appropriate to say that um, the Republican Party is vastly diminished in numbers. The leadership of the Republican Party is fractured, and the Trump wing of the party is the bulk of the party, but it makes up a significant minority of the American people. Well, I don't even know what that means, significant minority of the American people. Uh, But, Senator, I mean, are you guys fractured? I think the numbers say that you have actually gained people in your party over the last seven months. Oh, listen, when you have 75 million people, as I call them, the committee of 75, uh, 75 million people that voted for President Trump, when you have more Republican elected officials at your local and state level, we have mayors that are Republicans that are being elected down in the Rio Grande Valley. And we have seen tremendous growth in pushing for conservative values, in pushing forward with the Republican Party. I will tell you this, Brian, I think it's time for the Republican Party writ large to stop calling themselves the grand old party and call themselves the great opportunity party and reach out to more young people and more millennials and continue to grow the base because there are fewer people that agree with the left wing of the Democrat Party, and the left wing of the Democrat Party is now what is dominating. You don't hear about blue blue dog Democrats anymore. You don't hear people say, uh, I, I'm a moderate Democrat. What you hear is the left wingers, and there is a smaller segment of American society that agrees with the left wingers. I understand that. Uh, so let's uh, let's fast forward to something you're introducing. You're introducing, reintroducing the Stop COVID Act to hold China yes. accountable. Robert Redfield just he hasn't aired yet on television, but he gave an interview to Mark Siegel. He was former CDC director. He had suspicions right away. Cut four. It just seemed like a lot of people wanted to squelch any idea that there was another hypothesis. And I think that's what I find the most disappointing, because I would expect that from politicians. I would expect that from governments. I would never expect that from the scientific community. And yet, what we witnessed was the scientific community went on heavy to try to stop any open debate about the origin of this virus, and I find that... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Just very, very sad, very disconcerting, and very anti-science. This is a guy that was there from day one. It's pretty significant what he just said. How does that play into what you want to do? Uh, what it what it plays into is our desire to get to the bottom of where this virus came from. And as you well remember, those of us who pushed back and said, hey, wait a minute, where did this virus come from? Did it come from the lab? Because we knew the common Chinese Communist Party had locked down Ubei province, which is where yep. Wuhan is located. And you could not go. If you were from Wuhan, you couldn't go anywhere else in China. But you could go to the Wuhan International Airport and leave the country and fly to other countries. So we are correct in going after this, and we were correct then. And Dr. Fauci needs to come forward and explain why he wanted to do to not investigate the Wuhan lab, why he hid exactly. information, and then why did he stand by while Senator, those thanks so much. Appreciate it. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to FoxNewsPodcasts.com for all the details. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. These cartels are taking advantage of a lax enforcement structure at the border right now, and we're seeing ever-increasing illegal activity, and that is spilling, whether it's the safe houses, whether it's these illegal car chases at high speeds that are injuring and sometimes killing people, and all the other activity you're seeing around this border. That is bringing that into the United States and really moving the border north in a, in a very concerning way. That's Matt Whitaker, former attorney general. What he noticed at the, and there's so much wrong at the border, but what he noticed about the illegal activity, and that's cartels. Uh, and they are having a good time. And last night I watched Laura Ingram's show, and they showed these guys having a party in the middle of the night. They're loving this. They're making a ton of money. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West doesn't need to, me to tell him that. He knows it. He lives it. He's chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow at the Media Research Center, former congressman from Florida. Uh, Colonel, uh, it's hard to it's hard to overstate how bad things are. What do you witness, and what about the illegal activity amongst those who just want to come here for a better life? Well, it's good to be with you again, Brian. I'll be heading down uh, to the border on Friday for a visit uh, to Laredo and over to Zapata County. Uh, it, it's very appalling what we see happening down there, and the fact that this administration is allowing and enhancing the economic growth and opportunities for uh, a transnational criminal and terrorist organization. That's what the cartels are, and it is not that they are freely operating on the southern side of the border, the southern side of the Rio Grande. They're freely operating on our our side of this border with the stash houses. It was just a few weeks ago that there was a stash house uncovered in Houston that had 90 illegal immigrants in there. And so this network of stash houses they have established, they are openly advertising on social media platforms for teenagers 
teenagers and for others to go down there and help to uh, escort people that are here illegally once they cross the uh, the Rio Grande Valley. So why don't we shut down this activity on the uh, on the social media platforms instead of censoring conservative speech or censoring uh, well, stories that the progressive left doesn't want? We got a little bit of leverage. We have a we have a lot of vaccines. And Johnson & Johnson is delivering, or the, uh, the vice president has worked at a deal where Mexican president will get one million plus Johnson & Johnson vaccines. That's one shot, you're in and out, between 78% effective. That's the leverage. You don't get the vaccine unless they see 40,000 Marines at the border or 30,000, whatever was working for the Trump administration. When you do that, I'll help you with this. Now, you might be a little... Uh, uh, you know, it might be a little crass, a little harsh, but that's it. You don't get them unless you do something. Instead, we just, they just got them. I don't. What is Mexico doing to help? Well, that's just the same as, you know, you look at the budget from the Biden administration and $4 billion to go down to those northern triangle countries. Uh, and that's $4 billion that is not going to the Department of Homeland Security to go down to help our Border Patrol agents or our ICE agents. So, again, this is, you know, the welfare program and also the COVID relief program that is going to these countries that aren't doing their fair share, if I can use that language. And remember, it was Mexico and also the Guatemala. Mullen president who said that the root cause of this issue are the policies of the Biden administration. So you could go down and give them money, give them COVID yeah. shots. That doesn't mean anything. It's not going to stop. True. Uh, so Kamala Harris evidently went down to the border. She did not want this job. I was staggered to see that there was a report that was picked up by Axios that her aides basically said, using an expletive, Joe Biden gave it to her because he does not want to deal with it. And here is the quote. If you give someone a SH blank blank job assignment because the president doesn't want to do it himself, you can't be mad when the treacherous situation looks treacherous. Uh, illegal crossings at the United States southern border have reached an all-time high, and Harris has drawn criticism from both Republicans and Democrats, obviously. So her former aides are speaking out. Colonel, if you're in the military and someone gives you a job, Get it done. You don't complain. You don't avoid. You don't blame. You don't take a portion of that job that you like, gradually get to it, and then have your former aide speak out on your behalf. Well, this shows once again that Vice President Harris was not ready for prime She's time. She's talking about. You're talking about a person that dropped out of the Democrat uh, primary race uh, before the actual primaries even got started. I think she was polling at 1%. So she is not someone that has an astute record as a member of the United States Senate. Uh, she does not have a stellar record when she was attorney general out there in California. And now we have put her in charge of one of the most crisis situations. Really, we're looking at the destabilization of the sovereignty of the state of Texas, which has a second and third order effect upon the United States of America. Look at all the fentanyl that is coming in. Look at all of the the, uh, the issues with human and sex trafficking right. that is happening. And she's just laughing about it. So, uh, Colonel, I know you're not a lawyer, but what can Texas, the Texas governor, wants to uh, build a wall himself. He wants to start uh, sealing it off himself. He is so frustrated, as are you, as almost every the lieutenant governors as well. Mm -hmm. So what can you do legally? I mean, that's that's a federal mission that's not accomplished. Yeah. So what can you do? 
Well, see, this is the big deal. I mean, just saying we're going to put up a fence down there, that's like putting a Band-Aid over a sucking chest wound. We have a constitutional crisis going on here in the state of Texas. You have a federal government that is abdicating their constitutional duty, role, and responsibility to protect the sovereignty of the state of Texas and the United States of America. But yet we're told by the rule of law that this is a federal government responsibility, uh, deportation and things of this nature, and the state can't do anything. We have got to go back into a legislative session and redefine our roles and responsibilities as a state. The Constitution in Article 1, Section 10, Clause Number 3, and Article 4, Section 4, gives the states the ability to protect themselves against what the Founding Fathers called invasions, to act when they find imminent danger without admit of delay. That's the words that our Founding Fathers have in our rule of law. We need to invoke that. We need to invoke the Tenth Amendment. We need to take over these responsibilities and roles and missions. We need a full deployment of our National Guard down there on the borders to block off these infiltration routes and interdict this flow. And we need to make sure that we have federal government arrest powers and deportation powers here at the state of Texas because they're not doing it, Brian. And so we need to go and and solve this constitutional crisis uh, because this is huge, what we're facing here in Texas. So do you get a sense from the Hispanic community? I know the election was uh, was sending some really good signs for Texas with the Hispanic community Mm -hmm. uh, in your state. And then you had the mayoral election where it won Mm -hmm. to a Republican first time in a long time. Do you get the sense? 35 years. Now, you know, when you were actually in Congress, the conventional wisdom was if you're tough on the border, the Hispanic community will reject you because it looks as though you know, you're being you don't like Hispanics. And that was just such a simpleton way to approach it. Trump just blew that up and said, no, I'm building a wall. Nothing against it. if you're here. You're an American. I don't care how it's interpreted. What is your belief My belief is very simple, that when you uh, look at your safety and security, uh, no one wants to live in terror like we see happening all along our border. That's why you have Mayor-elect Villalobos down in McAllen, Texas. That's why I'm going to Zapata County uh, this Friday to be with a county that for the first time went Republican in 100 years and uh, to do a fundraiser with them with their brand-new county chair, Jennifer Thatcher, because people are waking and they understand that they want to be safe. They want to be secure. They don't want defunding of the police. They don't want open borders. They don't want to have illegal immigrants running around and rampaging, going through their grocery stores, convenience stores, uh, car chases, and things of this nature, carjackings, all of these things that are happening along our borders. So yes, they are waking up to the fact that the Democrats have not just taken them uh, uh, for granted, they are destroying their lives and livelihoods. Very interesting. What are you going to decide to do, Colonel? I know you're still the Texas GOP chair. Have you put any more thought into it? The rumor is you're going to run for governor. Well, I put a lot of thought into it, and uh, I'm still the chairman until the 11th of July. And so uh, between now and the 11th of July, there will be an announcement. There will. And hopefully you'll continue to be my friend and you'll let me come on your show. Uh, Yeah, it's it's constitutional. Uh, (laughs) But when I accepted this show, uh, you came along with it. I have no choice. Uh, You have to come on. It's by it's by contract. Okay, just make sure you don't amend anything. Okay? I have a problem with that. I will not pass any resolutions. All right, uh, Colonel, but it will will it be some office? 
it will be some office. I'm not leaving the great state of Texas. I love being here. I enjoy being here. And you wrote an incredible book about Texas and uh, and the Alamo and the Defenders and the Texas Revolution. And you know, I was born and raised in Georgia, went to the University of Tennessee, uh, Georgia and Tennessee. We have an incredible bond and incredible history here in Texas. And so I'm here to defend this great uh, place that we call home, the Lone Star State. And by the way, they're trying to rewrite the history of Texas in Texas. I know. I know. I saw this book that just came out June the 8th that is saying that the Alamo is, is a myth. It says it's called Forget the Alamo. Uh, I mean, this is unconscionable, but that's how the left does it. They undermine, they, they not just revise history, they eliminate history. And they want the debate, and next thing you know, they push, push, push the line until it's gone. Uh, but that's not going to happen, especially with the Alamo. Uh, Colonel, thanks no. so much. Always a pleasure, Brian. You take care. You got it. one 866 408 I'll take your calls when we get back. In case you do not know, there's a big push to say that the Alamo and the fighting of the Texas Revolution was all about slavery. It did not. Yeah. Were there slaves in Texas? Yes. But if you read Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, you read any of the other great books about the Alamo, slavery wasn't even in the top 10 things that even mattered. It was Santa Ana taking over, deciding, taking over Mexico and saying, what is with this runaway province of Texas? How come they're doing their own thing and they're profiting so much? Who cut these agreements with this territory? Let's go in and change things. Texas says, no, this is the deal. Uh, we are doing what we're doing. We are paying what we're paying. We will not be assigned mayors and governors. We will make our own our own shots. When Stephen F. Austin went down to try to negotiate with Santa Ana and tell him just that, they put him in jail. When he came back, he said, game on. Sam Houston would get control of the army. They'd lose some early, they win some early battles. Obviously, they lose the Alamo. He would take his army back, put him into retreat, keep training him to setting him up for an ultimate victory at San Jacinto that lasted all of 17 minutes. They, they, they would not only win, but they'd capture Santa Ana. That's what happened. That's the truth. Uh, Take that book and shove it. Uh, This is uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, with the Prime Minister Modi, our President Rabbi Fozer, President Moon, the Justin Lee. And the President of South Africa. And, and, and the President uh, of South Africa, as, 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 I, as I said earlier. Oh, you did? I did. No, I did. I, I, I certainly did. But <laughs> uh, so. you get elected twice, so. So that was Macron saying he got mentioned twice, and that was Boris Johnson introducing all the leaders, and Joe Biden said, what about the South African leaders? I already mentioned it. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but there were long pauses in some of the speeches. He does look extremely tired. He looks a very old, 78 years old. But uh, the biggest, the most taxing moment is yet to come, and he's not making himself available at all to the press. And it must be really frustrating. Number one, you show up over two hours late for a press conference when you get only five questions. And reports that there were 300 members of the media, five questions, all the people you're going to call on, their names are written down. Man, that's got to be... And that's got to be frustrating. Listen to this exchange. So he meets with Erdogan. The only reason they know the meeting's going on is that the Turkish crew is sending out pictures of Erdogan meeting with Biden. So listen to this give and take. Not the easiest to hear, but you'll understand it. Cut 30. 
Real funny. Um, I mean, you're there to do a job. Maybe everyone got spoiled and they like to criticize Donald Trump. The guy used to walk up and down the line and take all your questions. Don't tell me about transparency ever again. The other thing I want to bring up is what's going on. The exclusive interview of Robert Redfield by uh, Dr. Mark Siegel, Fox News contributor. He knows that he's got a lot of respect in this community. And the question is, what did Redfield know as CDC director and what was he so incensed about? What he was incensed about is, he says, I understand when it comes to world leaders and politicians, politics get into it. What caught him by surprise was that science tests, and I think he's indicating Dr. Fauci, were playing politics. And that's what bothered him most. And he did go on to say that that letter that was put together, the 27 scientists that appeared in that prestigious science magazine that said this virus came from a uh, came from animal to animal transfer was uh, organized by Peter Daszak. Why is he so invested in not having this leak from a lab? Because the organization that he represents gave money to that lab. And maybe perhaps he's afraid of this all coming back to him. Cut three. I think Tony is holding on to this hypothesis tightly. Now, why, why would that be? Sometimes scientists, when they get on, they bite into a bone on a hypothesis, it's hard for them to move on. I guess if I'm disappointed about anything about the early scientific community is that there seemed to be lack of openness to pursue both hypotheses. Right. And the thing about Dr. Robert Redfield, and when he talks about Tony, it's obviously Tony Fauci. So Dr. Robert Redfield got criticism because the CDC was not ready with tests to handle this virus when it came onto our shores in Washington. We think Washington was probably in New York earlier. Well, if you're not going to tell him what kind of virus it is, how is he supposed to prepare a test for it? And when you tell him it's an animal to animal transfer and you prepare for SARS-1 or MERS, I'm not a scientist, but we've now learned you prepare for one test, it's not going to stop another. We got a virus we didn't know anything about, we still don't know anything about, and we still don't know the origins. Do you understand the frustration and the blame and the guilt you must feel on some level, even though it's not really worthy when 600,000 Americans die and you're ahead of the CDC and the test you had didn't work? Pretty terrible, right? I think so. Here's more from uh, Redfield. Cut five. I think they were highly compromised. Clearly, they were incapable of um, compelling China to adhere to the treaty agreements that they have on global health because they they didn't do that. Clearly, they allowed China to define the, the group of scientists that could come and investigate. That's not consistent with their role. And the WHO is what he's referring to. So that's why the president got out of it. And this president went right back into it without any preconditions. And why? They're not empowered. Uh, they were picked. This guy, Tedros, was picked by China. That was during the Bush years, W. And if you see and you read Josh Rogan's book, one of China's main functions was to get a hold of these United Nations and world bodies, these so-called foundations and these different, uh, and these different uh, groups, whether it's the WHO or other groups like the World Bank. And they wanted control and they wanted to say. And we didn't think it was that big a deal because it's almost like being on a board with service. It doesn't pay a lot, but you get great influence. 
What happened is they got great influence. And when you have great influence and China puts you there, you're not going to come out and say China's to blame and they don't give me access. But if you truly cared about people, if you truly cared about global health, you would have said exactly that if you were running the WHO. When we come back or as we continue, let me just re- uh, warn you, uh, tell you that if you go to uh, – if you if you like this show, if you like the content in this show, you're going to love it tonight on primetime at 7 o'clock. We're going to be discussing this uh, thoroughly. And last night we led with it, and we had Jamie Metzl on and Dr. Kwai on, and we really moved the ball forward there. In fact, a lot of people are running those sound bites now. And we're also going to talk about the president's big meeting with Vladimir Putin. That's tonight at 7 o'clock on primetime on Fox News. You want to know about the true story of the Alamo? Go to BrianKilme.com. Get Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers. That's the story that our country needs to know. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by Senator Rick Scott. He'll be with us in about three minutes. Larry the Cable Guy is here, one of the deep thinkers and funny guys in America from the Midwest, can give us a perspective from Nebraska and around the, around the country and around the stage. Listen, he's been off the stage for the first time maybe in 25 years. What's it been like for him? And then we'll have Stuart Varney. Uh, we'll do a simulcast there and talk about that North Korean defector, which brings me to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I thought I, I landed in a country where I can say what I believed and have my, you know, freedom to think. However, now I end up in a country, I have to constantly censoring my speech. If America is not free, I think there's no place else is left that is free. I hear you, and that is a 27-year-old defector, graduate of Columbia University, turned off by the wokeness in America. You heard her, right? She defects from North Korea, was sold into sex slavery, manages to get out, get to our country, and can't believe what she's hearing about people on the inside of our country and what they say is repression. We'll talk about it. Number two. I have met with him. He's bright. He's tough, and uh, I have found that uh, he is a, uh, as they say, when he used to play ball, a worthy adversary. Well, not bad. From a killer to a worthy adversary, inside the NATO summit, en route to the Russian showdown. Awkward moments, lack of press access, and playing intramural politics in the global stage, calling out Republicans. Let's just say the bar is pretty low for the Biden-Putin meeting tomorrow. Number one. I didn't think it was biologically plausible that COVID-19 went from a bat to some unknown animal into man. That's not consistent with how other coronaviruses have come into the human species. Rattling the Wuhan bat cage. Yes, bat scene of the Wuhan lab. Their bat woman speaks out from China. And what she says and doesn't say is significant. Soon we must find out where the origins of this virus begin. And in 2019, this thing started. And this killing machine has killed millions, including 600,000 Americans. And we cannot get the leverage to get China to be honest. So let's bring in Senator Rick Scott on this. He's uh, Senator Homeland Security and on the Armed Services Committee. And he's also in charge of uh, bringing the Senate back into Republican hands. Senator, welcome back. It's great to be back, Brian. Yeah, we've got to get the facts. I mean, 
we, you know, we've got to get Fauci to come t- tell us about what did he knew when and what did he know when. And we've got all these media executives that said that they, they don't want to, uh, you know, they didn't want to do any investigation about China. Gosh, that was that was uh, what xenophobic if we do that. So we got, why why were they doing that last year? Now we know that that they clearly China's covered something up. Let's get to the bottom bottom of this. I've been asking, um, you know, where, where how can we get this information? I think we need to have testimony. I've asked um, uh, and CDC to give us more better information. I mean, this is this is a disaster. We 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 know we have a problem. China is not our friend, and so Americans are fed up. Six hundred thousand of us, our friends and families, have died. We've got to get the we've got to get to the bottom of this, and ultimately hold communist China accountable. Got it, uh, Rick Scott, with us. Rick, I'm sure you don't know this yet, but Dr. Robert Redfield sat down with Dr. Mark Siegel, and the whole interview has not even been out. Just some segments. Here's an interview uh, where he's finally being honest about how he was really kept down uh, by. Dr. Fauci and did not understand why Dr. Fauci kept holding on to one school of thought. Cut three. I think Tony is holding on to this hypothesis tightly. Now, why, why would that be? Sometimes scientists, when they get on, they bite into a bone on a hypothesis, it's hard for them to move on. I guess if I'm disappointed about anything about the early scientific community is that there seemed to be lack of openness to pursue both hypotheses. And he says, like uh, Jamie Metzl, like Dr. Kwai in the Wall Street Journal, one of the country's top 1% scientists, that the makeup and sequence of these uh, of this virus is something that's manufactured, and he believes it came from the lab. I mean, this is unbelievable that Robert Redfield, an esteemed doctor, was kept down for 15 months. I don't understand, Fauci. I mean, we've got to get to the bottom of this. We've got to understand what his agenda was, what he knew, when he knew it, uh, and then the media. I mean, the media tried to play down that this was this was something that was caused by social media you know, too, the Chinese government. So, uh, social media as well. So we'll we'll talk about that. The other thing that's happening right now is uh, Vladimir Putin is going to be meeting with uh, President Biden. We know there's been two cyber attacks on our country, ransomware attacks. We have paid the ransom both times. Private industry has. But food and energy affected all of us, not just those two businesses. How safe is our grid? How do you get to across to, uh, to Vladimir Putin that, this, that there'll be ramifications? How would you present that to the leader of Russia? I think you have to be direct. You have to, you know, you, you sit down and you say, look, this is what this is what we know. Right. Uh, and we're not going to we're not going to stand for this. We're you know, we're not going to allow you to shut down our grids. Uh, we're not going to allow you to shut down our gas. We're not going to let you shut down food production. And you need to you need to be transparent. You need to tell us what you know if you're involved, uh, because we're we're going to eventually hold. We're going to find out what happened. And hold you accountable. We have a problem, no question. Unfortunately, we have a president that doesn't have a backbone. I mean, I, can you imagine Joe Biden walking up to Putin and say, "Look, this is what we know, and what did you, what was your involvement?" No, he's going to go see sit down with Joe Biden and Joe or, 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 uh, Putin, and Putin's going to say, "Hey, I need something else, just like I needed that pipeline that you won't do in America, but I get to do it in Europe now." I mean, this and Putin's going to just give Biden his, his marching orders. 
Biden want, has no backbone. I, I was kind of surprised. The one thing None. about one thing one thing about President Biden, he's got a ton of experience, been doing it since he's 28 years old. So he's on the world stage where he's been as chairman of foreign relations and where he's been as vice president. And he gets this question about how do you get the the world to trust us after January 6th is our democracy in danger. And listen to what he said about the Republican Party. Cut 20. I think it's a Appropriate to say that um, the Republican Party is vastly diminished in numbers. The leadership of the Republican Party is fractured. And the Trump wing of the party is the bulk of the party, but it makes up a significant minority of the American people. And we'll see. You guys fractured? We'll see. Are you guys fractured? No. I mean, I'm the, I'm the, uh, I took over the chair of the National Republican Central Committee. Yep. We've had 500,000 individual donors just in the first five months, right? We've outraised the Democrats uh, in, the, in the first five months. We have great candidates all across the country. We've done a whole bunch of polls, and guess what? The Biden agenda is absolutely unpopular. They don't like they don't. They don't want to open. Americans, Republicans, Democrats, and and independents do not want an open border and closed schools. They don't want the Keystone Pipeline shut down. They don't want to shut down fossil fuel. They don't want. They don't want the, the government to say you can't have an ID or you shouldn't have to have an ID when you vote. So we are no. We are heading the right direction. We did a Hispanic poll. Hispanics are moving our direction fast because they are aspirational. They have faith in God. They want a good job. They want their kids to get good education. Hard work. They are Republicans. Uh, by the way, just let me give you the stats. On January 21st, 25% surveyed said they were Republicans. On February 3rd, it was 26. Now on May 3rd, it was 29%. Independents are, you know, in their 30s and, G- and, and the Democrats are in their 30s too. So he's just wrong on that. Uh, and we'll see what happens because the best sales tool you guys have is the Democratic agenda, which brings me to the bipartisan, bicameral compromise infrastructure bill that's about $925 billion that Joe Biden has not rejected out of hand. So what? where do you stand, Senator Rick Scott? Because they repurposed some unspent COVID money from past bills. They don't raise taxes. Without boring people with details, is this something that you could get behind? I am for infrastructure, but my definition is roads, bridges, airports, and seaports. In my eight years as governor, I spent $85 billion, and guess what? I cut taxes 100 times, and I paid off a third of the state debt. I am not in for any gas tax increases. I'm not in for indexing the gas tax to inflation. I'm not raising anybody's taxes, and I'm not not, going to do anything to raise the debt. Look at what's happening. Look at our debt now. We're almost to $30 trillion. Look at inflation. PPI came out today 6.6%, and, and the CPI came out last weekend at uh, 5%. Look at what's going on. Bread prices are up. Gas prices are up. Food prices are up. I'm not doing anything to continue the reckless spending. I am for real infrastructure and no tax increases. Have you seen the bipartisan bill? Do you have any idea what's in it? I've been I've uh, I've had an overview of it. Uh, they have not uh, given me a copy yet. Uh, I will clearly go through it. I'm in for infrastructure, no tax increases and no uh, new debt. 
Gotcha. So what are you proposing now? Uh, you're introducing the Federal Debt Emergency Control Act, and along with you is Ron Johnson, John Brasso, Joni Ernst, Tommy Tuberville, Mike Braun, Marsha Blackburn, uh, who are on board with this because the debt's at $30 trillion. What exactly is this? So, so we have a problem. We have, we're spending way – Congress uh, is spending way too much money. Uh, we're seeing inflation. So what this will do is say once debt hits – our federal debt hits 100 percent of GDP – What's going to happen? Every time we have a vote to increase spending that's not paid for, it, it's going to require a two-thirds vote of the House and the Senate um, because you're – and you're going to have to vote that you're, this is going to raise the debt ceiling. So people are going to start focusing on this. We're going to take all the – once we hit 100 uh, percent debt to GDP, we're going to take all the excess stimulus money and we're going to pay down the debt. So the big thing is make – and then make it easier for people to have votes about coming up with ideas of how to reduce the debt. We have got to get this under control. It's causing inflation. It's hurting our poorest families. It's hurting our people – our families on fixed income. And our children and grandchildren are going to pay, be paying off this debt if we don't take, take this seriously. Right, but Democrats aren't on board with it, so what are you going to do? I'm going to – the goal, my goal is to make sure everybody understands the problem and then go out there and sell it to the public. I believe the public is up in arms about this reckless spending, and I believe we're going to get something done. And, I believe, and if we don't, it's going to impact the Democrats in 22. But I'm, op, I'm optimistic that people are going to come to their senses and say $30 trillion of debt, that's enough. We've got to stop. Enough is enough. So running for the Marco Rubio Senate seat is Val Demings. They say it's going to be the most expensive race uh, in the history of Senate races, do you think so too? I don't think so because here's why. I mean, Marco's done a good job in, in his ten years up here. Great job. He's well thought of in the state. He's working hard. Val Demings is 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 is, is you know she votes a hundred percent with Nancy Pelosi, with ninety eight percent with the squad. That doesn't fit Florida. So as long as we get the message out, I think we're going to have – I think Marco's going to have a big win, and it won't be as expensive. But, but we'll, we're going to work hard. We're going to raise the money to make sure we help Marco and all of our other Republicans so get, we get a majority back in 22. He's like you. He works for a living. He is not into yeah. just uh, filling that seat and, and having fun as senator. He gets things done. Uh, senator, i got to ask you, too, since your goal is to take back the Senate, a lot of people are staring at Georgia – and we know Warnock is up again. Who do you have uh, with promise that you think has the Georgia name in order to win that seat back? Well, we already have uh, three people in the race. Wonderful. Navy SEAL Nathan Sadler, businessman veteran Kelvin King, and Georgia Ag, Ag Commissioner Gary Black. Uh, Congressman Buddy Carter is looking at it. Herschel Walker is looking at it. Um, so we're going to have a great candidate. And by the way, you know, Warnock is the Doug, Doug Jones of this cycle. He doesn't. He's been, he he should represent New York. He shouldn't represent Georgia. We're going to win this seat. Uh, we're going to get a, a good person to get out of the primary, and then we're going to make sure they raise the money and run a good race. We're, we're going to get Georgia back. We're going to get Georgia back. We're going to get Arizona back. Um, if we can get uh, uh, Chris Newton to run, we'll for sure get New Hampshire back. I think we've got a good job uh, in Nevada uh, with uh, against Cortez Masto. She only won by two percent. I mean, Joe Biden is helping us each and every day. Well, no, uh, no doubt about it. When they lose one senator, their whole agenda falls on its head. That senator has been Joe Manchin. I don't know how much longer he's going to hold on, but he's got another year and a half to try to save the country. Uh, senator Rick Scott, thanks so much. 
Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. All right. He's a busy guy. Rick Scott, 1-866-408-7669. I'll take some calls, get some of your emails when we come back. Then we're going to welcome in and have some fun with Larry the Cable Guy. Uh, he and his wife have written a brand-new book uh, called Fields of Grace, Sharing Faith from the Horse Farm. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. This G7 was all about consensus. Everybody agreeing on everything. Take, for example, why they like Joe Biden on global warming. Everyone says, we're all going to die tomorrow, we must cut carbon emissions and give $100 billion to third world countries to help them reduce carbon emissions, applause all round, open the champagne, right? If Trump had been there, he would have said, hang on, guys, why are we doing all of this when China is opening two new coal-fired power stations every single week. But, of course, Joe Biden wasn't going to say that. Donald Trump would have said that. And that explains to you why they think it's wonderful that Trump has gone and Biden is there. That's the whole thing. And and there's no doubt about it. It's good to get along with your allies. And one of the downsides of multilateralism is you have to get everybody to agree. And everyone's got their own point of view. Hence we do, hence you do. In your life, uh, with your family, with your work, wherever you do, when, with your team that you're on. So if you are uh, President Trump, you're the leader. If you're President Biden, you're the leader. But you're getting along with everyone. So the Paris climate change is in. Iran deal, we're signing off on. We want to be tough on China. They don't want to be tough on China. They have trade with China. Well, we look at them as a militarily and economic superpower, emerging superpower that wants to upend us and uh, undo the world in which we have. It's not like France is going to take our spot. That's called a competition. That means they outmarketed us. They outsold us. Uh, they have better economic principles. They have better growth. They worked harder. They won. We'll go try to win it again. But China wants total domination, an autocratic rule. They want to control people's governments in world, these world bodies. So we're trying to get them to condemn China, and it's like uh, twisting their arms. They don't want to do it. That's the problem with multilateralism, one of the many problems. Here's Pierce Morgan from what he sees, cut 26. I think there's also a wider issue, uh, Sean, about President Biden. Is that I think he sees his job, his role, sort of calm everything down as if somehow that's enough. And I don't think it is. You know, when you're dealing with China, we're dealing with Russia, when you're dealing with NATO, when you're dealing with, you know, every issue out there from the pandemic to climate change, whatever, I'm not sure people want to calm America that isn't taking dynamic, proactive action. Uh, Eric, who's on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brian. I just wanted to touch base on your little Alamo uh, clip a little bit ago. I was fortunate enough to uh, get your book signed at the uh, Fox Patriot Awards. And I, after that, I couldn't put it down. It was a great historical description of what happened. And I'm kind of disappointed that Time Magazine, all of a sudden, now they're irrelevant, so they're trying to make a grab on this woke movement, I guess. But it's so sad of their, after 200 years, we feel we need to set the record straight. And uh, they're trying to cash in on wokeism when even leftist Roger Waters isn't buying it. I, mean, I know. I hear you, Eric. Thanks so much, too. 
back in the Patriot Awards this fall. By the way, you can see me tonight at 7 o'clock on primetime, Fox News Channel. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, there was another girl that I was in love with, and we was going to get married, but she wasn't going to take my name. So I broke that relationship off because I'm a traditionalist. I think they ought to take the name. Plus, I thought it'd be cool both of us named Larry. You know, I thought that'd be nice. You know. uh, yeah, that is uh, some of the great comedy of Larry the Cable Guy, one of the funniest guys in America, who had to stay off like everybody else stage, maybe for the first time in 20, more, uh, 20 or more years, and he made the most of his time. Larry the Cable Guy and his wife, Carol Whitney, uh, author of Fields of Grace, Sharing Faith from the Horse Farm, uh, join me now. Uh, Larry, welcome back. Brian, how are you, buddy? Yeah, I came on with my wife this time. Now, you so that means you guys are on speaking terms. It's going well? Yes, uh, my name is is Larry. <laughs> she's a, she's actually mad at me right now. She found my Uber phone. I used to call the uh, call Uber Eats when she goes out to get her hair done. Wow, that's uh, well. I know Uber was quite busy. So, Carol, what was it like having him home and not on stage and not on the road for over a year? You know, we we actually lived together in a tour bus, Mayhem and the kids. It was sort of like a twisted partridge family going on so when our kids started school uh then you know i was home more with the kids but you know uh he was semi-retired anyway once our kids reached a certain age he wanted to be a good dad and be home with them so he actually does about 30 dates a year yeah about 20 20 to 30 a year by the way brian i screwed my first joke up i said i meant to say my wife's mad at me because she cut my burner phone i used to call uber eats Okay, uh, that's as even funny. As you can see, he's very rusty. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you Hold write? Hold on, here's another one. Here's okay. another one. My wife says if I don't stop eating, I'm going to have to change my pronouns to they and them. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote that, you or her? Come on, I did. All right, that's right. Uh, you're the you're the comedian in the family. Um, so <laughs> So I think I, I guess I understand the premise of the book, Fields of Grace, sharing faith from the horse farm. Are you worried? And I'll, I'll throw this at you, Kara. Are you uh-huh. worried about our country when we're starting to wipe out holidays now in New Jersey, when we have uh, critical race theory trying to rip apart the fabric of the country, when uh, people want to change our history? The latest story is the Alamo. The real story of the Alamo starting to blow up the myth they claim in a brand new book that's out. Does this stuff bother you, or am I overreacting to it? Well, I wouldn't say you're overreacting, because I think we need to fight for what is right and good. But I will say one thing I've learned um, during the pandemic was how much and my idol is actually comfort. And so my focus was on all the things uh, political at the time, and of course COVID itself, and me orchestrating my own comfort, when actually, as Christ followers, we're called to bring comfort to other people. So I really did some soul searching in that and, uh, you know, put my focus back where it belongs. And that's on the Savior himself. You know, none of these things are going to save us, no politician. So 
that's really what the book's about, putting the focus on the Savior and telling other people about the saving power of Jesus Christ. And, and Larry, you're against all that, right? Against all what? Everything that Carrie just said. You do not believe any of that. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. No, but Brian, we see what's going on in the world. It's crazy. Uh, I think my, here's what I think about it. I think people that are constantly taking uh, politics and making it their religion. That's why, there's, that's why people are set each other's throats so much. I think it's their religion. They're, they're counting on politics to uh, heal everything. Politics isn't going to heal anything. And when one person makes fun of someone else's uh, politician that they like, it's like blasphemy to them. And uh, all hell breaks loose because they're all mad at each other. But we don't make politics a religion. I'm definitely involved in it. I mean, I want a great future for my kids, obviously. But nothing's going to change in this country until people start uh, getting a heart change. They got to change their hearts. They got to change the way they're thinking, you know, Um uh, and that's why I love my wife's books. She's putting these books out. You know, if uh, people stay focused on their creator, if they stay focused on Christ, we got one goalpost, Brian, one goalpost that never moves. And uh, if you don't uh, focus on the creator and you focus on the world and politics to heal your wounds, your goalpost is going to change every day, and you don't have any consistency at all in life. You know, I know this. I, I hear you, Larry, because for the longest time, when I would talk, when I talk politics or come home, no one's ever asking me what I do. They'll say, hey, I saw you on TV. That's it. Now, I can't go anywhere without people talking about what Joe Biden's doing, what Donald Trump is doing, you know, what the Senate, what, what's going to happen? How's the Senate going to go back to Republican hands? How are the Democrats going to hold on to it? I can't, everybody seems to be playing this game. Did I lose both of them at once? I've never lost two guests at one time. Incredible. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a soundbite that I was about to play, which when they'll probably come back in the middle of this, this is Bill Maher, as liberal as it gets, and I know most of you don't watch the show, which is why I want to play this. A guy that is outraged about the woke culture and what is happening with people tearing apart our own country is Bill Maher. So uh, Larry and Kara, I want to play something for you. This is Bill yeah, Moore, who I've been listening to his monologue lately, and I've been agreeing with 90% of it. He's as outraged <laughs> about people tearing this country apart. And, you know, he's as liberal as the day is long. Listen to a little of this Absolutely. monologue. Cut 37. Uncle Joe is pointing liberals towards something they need to be more aware of. They have a bad case of progressophobia. That's the phrase coined by Steven Pinker to describe a brain disorder that strikes liberals and makes them incapable of recognizing progress. It's like situational blindness, only what you can't see is that your dorm in 2021 is better than the South before the Civil War. If you think America is more racist now than ever, more sexist than before women could vote, you have progressophobia and should adjust your mask because it's covering your eyes. And he really has a problem with this generation that doesn't have that perspective that I think you guys write about, Kara. Do you understand where he's coming from? Even though he might be to the left of most people in Nebraska where you guys are, and we have great listeners in Lincoln at Coyle and KLIN over in Omaha. Uh, 
even though he's in the middle of Los Angeles, he sees the problem. Well, yeah, I mean, he wants to have the right to say what he wants to say. Um, That is our right as an American, and people are trying to take that away. There's two groups of people, I say. There's those who want to be left alone and those who won't leave them alone. You know, this progressive thing is in the church. And, you know, Jesus Christ, he tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through me. Uh, People want to add to that, say there's other ways to get to heaven. But really, Brian, by adding to that, you're subtracting from the gospel. And the gospel is that Jesus came to save, period. And that is what this book, Fields of Grace, does. It tells us how we can share our faith with other people, point them to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And also, you know, you came from a rural background. You guys are in a a rural uh, community. You have some things that, uh, that you have discovered. Three ways animals teach us to be better humans. Larry, you want to take that one? Well, uh, it's not my book. It's her book. So I don't Come know. Come on, Larry. Did you, I... did you read it? <laughs> of course I read it. Well, let's put it this way. When my wife first got her first book deal, yeah. she was in there writing forever. And she had about five months in. I walked in and I said, hey, when is your calendar coming out? And she said, what are you talking about? I said, aren't you putting out some kind of a calendar? She goes, I'm writing a book. So I didn't even know she was writing a book. I thought she was doing a calendar, so I'm not the right one to <laughs> Kara, I'm going to go to you. What do animals teach Thank us? Yes. What do animals <laughs> teach us? Hey, I will tell you, in this book, Fields of Grace, one of the lessons that I learned is anytime I would start my four-wheeler up, um, the dog would bark, and it was so grating. And I love my dog, but that barking dog. So the message I gleaned from that was as Christ followers to be able to connect with people on a relational level and to tell them about Jesus Christ without barking in their ear about it. You know, um, you're you're on Twitter, Dan's on Twitter, and there was a guy on there that was just like, you're going to, if you don't repent, you're going to burn in hell. And you know what? The things he was saying wasn't untrue, but there's definitely a gentler way that you can give people the truth right. without barking at them. Yep, I love loyalty and more, uh, the beauty in letting go, other lessons learned on the farm, and why conservative values matter in the future of America, and the fu- uh, to the future of America. Uh, you want to take that one, Larry? What was the question again? Sorry, why conservative values matter to the future of America? <laughs> Well, they matter because our country was founded on uh, free speech, and and uh, we have a constitution, and it seems like that's everything that our country was exactly. founded on is being ripped apart. Fields of Grace is the name of the book, Sharing Faith from the Horse Farm. Larry and Kara, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Kara Whitney is the author. Larry's on for the free ride. Back in a moment, Stuart Varney. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. 
Welcome back, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. We'll be on on the Fox Business Network, uh, Fox Business Channel, in a matter of moments. Talking with Stuart Varney, as we do each and every week, the hottest show on that channel. Sorry, Larry Kudlow, you're up and coming. But Stuart's been the anchor there for uh, for a while. He, in fact, Larry Kudlow was just on. We're going to talk about this North Korean defector and what he thinks about America and Columbia University. Let's listen in together. Or else you might see a nasty decline. All right, it is now 10.51. You know what that means. Brian Kilmeade is here. All right, Brian. North Korean defector warns against wokeness in America's classrooms. She says even North Korea was not this nuts after attending Ivy League. She went there. Let me... I'm just going to... I know you've seen this, Brian. I'm going to show our audience again what we're dealing with here. Roll that tape, please. For me to get a good GPA and graduate, I had to really shut up and, you know, echo whatever they said. People voluntarily choosing this path without going into their head, right? For North Koreans, we have to do it to survive. But I don't get it why Americans, a lot of Americans, are choosing this path. I mean, talk about oppression. Uh, what do you make of all of this, Brian? Well, the repression, the other definition of repression is what's happening in North Korea, maybe China, uh, in the in the area in which they're keeping the Uyghurs in a concentration camp. But she escapes from there. She walks across the Gobi, goes to China, walks across the Gobi Desert, is taken in as a sex slave for $300, along her mother for $100. She finds a way to get out. They escape to South Korea. She transferred to Columbia University. There she's horrified by the hatred Americans have for America, which in her mind, they're pretending to be repressed and unequal and professed. Are the are the ones who are pushing forth that message and her outrage and disillusionment got her a book deal, got her on our show. She was on with Sean last night. Was on Fox and Friends first. You should have her on because there's so many facets and shades to this story that we can learn from. My hope is we snap out of it eventually. I'm loving what's happened to this country because we're getting involved in the board of education, our school board in our own towns. We're pushing back. I'm even watching Bill Maher and HBO as liberal as liberal gets push back on this whole cancel culture along with Kevin Hart. I'm getting heartened that we had enough as a culture. Yeah, push back, please. By the way, Ms. Park is on the show about a half hour from now, this program today. Next, ter- uh, next Brian, Terry McAuliffe wants to be the governor of uh, Virginia again. He says concerns about critical race theory are a right-wing conspiracy. Watch this, please. Roll it. That's another right-wing conspiracy. This is uh, totally made up by Donald Trump and Glenn Youngkin. This is who they are. It's a conspiracy theory. You know what, Brian? Tell that to the parents. Stuart, it's so distant from Donald Trump. I don't even Donald Trump commented on 1776 as opposed to 1619. Critical race theory is something different. It's in the curriculum. Yeah, 1619 is being infiltrated in. You get incentives if you put it in uh, to uh, to your school board from the federal government, and that's uh, and that's hideous. However, nothing to do with Donald Trump. It's easy to bring that up, Terry McAuliffe, but you should be smarter than that. There's a whole bunch of people in Virginia, which I know has been blue over the last 10 years, that just sit, uh, have been sitting around from Loudoun County and others and saying, what is happening to my kids? What are they learning? And I think Democrats are on board with this, too. You really? Because you're white or because you're black, you're either oppressed or an oppressor? Really? You're telling that to an 8-year-old? You're telling that to a 6-year-old? You're making telling a 17-year-old it's going to be on the test, and you don't—you think Donald Trump is making this up? 
He is missing the boat here. And you know what? The Republican is a lot closer to Terry McAuliffe than he realizes. This could close the gap entirely. Virginia is seems to be the tipping point with critical race theory. Not a myth. Not a uh, conspiracy theory. Why, why don't I see this anyplace else? It's just Fox and Fox business. We're the only ones pointing out the problems with critical race theory and the woke generation that now dominates our media and the key universities. Why are we alone? Will we always be alone? Won't the rest of the media see the light at some point? I'm not sure. Uh, I just think that, well, I've seen the enemy and it's us. Our country is shooting from the inside. We're shooting so-called inside the tent. We used to have an enemy, and we do have these enemies called Russia and China on the outside and competitors uh, on the outside, but they're nothing compared to us. And I believe that China's playing a role in that in playing, using their huge PR machine to infiltrate our schools and, may, and, and sow division. But I also think that we are our own worst enemy. We've, we have, like, this generation of Americans coming up, because they've been trained in this, are the most ungrateful, egomaniacal, uh, themselves-centric that I can imagine, to the point where no one, everyone's looking around saying, where did they come from? So hopefully people will sober up, and you realize this is the best country uh, ever, and our past is our past. We learn from it, we grow from it, we study it, we don't judge it. You're right. You're right. You're right. And the sooner we all realize that, the better. Brian, good stuff today. Thank you very much indeed, sir. We'll be seeing you later. All Thanks. right. Go get him, Stuart. And by the way, North Korean... Div- all right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. That is pretty amazing too, right? Uh, about this whole cancel culture and this uh, North Korean, uh, the former North Korean who defected. So, uh, if you want to know a little bit more about how crazy this is, I played this a little bit with uh, Larry the Cable Guy and his wife. But here's a little one on uh, Bill Maher. Talk about this, Cut 39. In 1958, only 4% of Americans approved of interracial marriage. Now, Gallup doesn't even bother asking. The last time they did in 2013, 87% approved. An overwhelming majority of Americans now say they want to live in a multiracial neighborhood. That is a sea change from when I was a kid. And understand what he's saying? He used to be critical of America. But he's saying, for not cite the progress that we have made, which used to be conventional wisdom up until the last maybe three, four years, is just to be delusional. Delusional. I'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock on primetime. If you have to leave, uh, understand, I thank you so much for listening. Go to briankillme.com. Uh, you can order any of my books, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers included, and briankillmeatshow.com. Order the podcast. This way you can listen anytime, anywhere, on your schedule, even if your schedule is new. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Joe Theismann is going to talk about paying athletes, uh, you know, Notre Dame star, 
Heisman Trophy runner-up, goes on to win a couple of Super Bowls, got a great perspective. And Josh Rogan standing by. He's one of the first to write comprehensively about what could have gone wrong in China and how they've infiltrated almost every aspect of American life. It's a five-alarm fire. He's been kind enough to tell us uh, a little bit about his book each and every time. And now this story is breaking his direction. It is not plausible to think that it's okay to wipe out any type of thought that this came from a lab because they were doing uh, uh, chain-of-function research. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I thought I, I landed in a country where I can say what I believed and have my you know freedom to think. However, now I end up in a country, I have to constantly censoring my speech. If America is not free, I think there's no place else is left that is free. Yeah, that's your Nemi Park. She's got a book out now about defecting from North Korea, coming here to Colombia, and feeling oppressed. Turn off the wokeness, America. Did you hear that? A North Korean defector has just given us a reality check. Somehow, we have given an open forum to America's enemies, and most of the fire is coming from inside the tent. Number two. I have met with him. He's bright, he's tough, and uh, I have found that uh, he is a, uh, as they say, when he used to play ball, a worthy adversary. Okay, that's nice. I'm not sure who says that when they play ball. Inside the NATO summit, en route to the Russian showdown, awkward moments, uh, lack of press access, and intramural politics are on the global stage. Uh, We'll talk about it. Number one. I didn't think it was biologically plausible that COVID-19 went from a bat to some unknown animal into man. That's not consistent with how other coronaviruses have come into the human species. Dr. Aubrey Redfield speaking out to Dr. Mark Siegel about what he saw as when he was running the CDC about this virus, rattling the Wuhan bat cage. Yes, bats seem to be in the Wuhan lab. Their bat woman speaks out from China. And what does she not say, which I believe is more significant than what she did say about the 2019 killing machine? Uh, let's bring in uh, Josh Rogan. Uh, Josh has written a great book. It's called Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century. Josh, welcome back. Thanks for staying on this story, Brian. No problem, Josh. You were the first. You were, you were saying, why aren't people asking these questions? Jamie Metzl and others were. Now everybody is. Even John Stewart last night on The Late Show <laughs> shocked Stephen Colbert by saying, it came from the Wuhan lab. Of course it did. <laughs> Dr. Robert Redfield speaking out. What was significant about the New York Times story yesterday? So the New York Times, nothing was significant about the New York Times story yesterday. They interviewed Dr. Shi Zhong Li, the head of the Wuhan Institute of Virology's bat program for the 14th time. And she regurgitated CCP propaganda points for the 14th time. And they pretended it was news of some kind. And of course, she said the thing, the only thing that she can say in public that won't get her jailed or disappeared or worse, which is, how dare you accuse the lab? And <laughs> we never had the virus. And why are you persecuting us Chinese scientists? What and you, none of that is ahead. new. And the problem is that she refused to answer any basic questions about why her lab has zero transparency and zero accountability on, in a crisis. Why did she take down the public virus database in December, a month before we even knew there was a, a pandemic? Why had she? did she destroy the samples? Of course, we know all these answers. It's because the Chinese Communist Party ordered her to because they're the ones who are in charge of the lab, not her. And them trotting her out to the New York Times for the umpteenth time only tells us something about them, not her. It tells us that they're feeling the heat, that they're getting a little upset that people keep insisting on looking into this network of 
labs in Wuhan that were studying bat coronaviruses right next to the bat coronavirus outbreak. And we're not saying we know it came from the lab. We're just saying we can't rule it out, so we have to check it out. And what Dr. Schur and the Chinese Communist Party is saying, no way, we're not going to let you check it out. And that's where we are. That's why we're in the, the problem that we're in. And, you know, fundamentally, I'm not a scientist. But Dr. Kwai was on yesterday, wrote the story in the Wall Street Journal last week, and he's considered one of the top scientists in our country. He just said, look at the sequences of this virus. It's nothing that really comes from animals. This is something that comes from chain-of-function research, he basically said. In fact, here it is. Cut 11. You have two known zoonoses, SARS-1 and MERS. Uh, in both of those, 90% of the animals in the markets had, had uh, viruses. Uh, you know, here we have none in the market. Uh, there you had the, the virus was practicing jumping into humans. So you could go in the refrigerator and find blood samples. One to four percent were positive for SARS-1 or MERS uh, after the epidemic came out. Here we've looked at 10,000 specimens. We see none. And, and there the, the virus had a lot of genetic diversity because it was running around in an intermediate host. Uh, here we have a, a pure culture in that, in that very first patient. So the three criteria of a, of a community versus laboratory acquired zoonosis, you, you check the box on laboratory acquired in all three. So, I mean, he's trying to break it down and keep emotions and politics out of it. Was it effective? I think it's effective to the point that no one can say now there's zero evidence that, you know what I mean? Like for a year, we've everyone's, oh, there's no evidence, so we shouldn't look into it. And now all the scientists that are speaking out are saying is like, no, there's some evidence and we need to look into it. And don't tell me not to look into it. Why shouldn't we look into it? You know, so a year ago when you said, oh, don't you dare mention the lab, that's racist, that's a conspiracy theory. Well, now here we are in June 2021. If you want to say it's a conspiracy theory, then you would have to argue that in that conspiracy are all these scientists and Joe Biden and Tony Blinken all conspiring. You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. So, you know, can we look at the lab? Should we look into the lab? How about we look into the lab? That's all I've ever been saying. I think that's all a lot of people have been saying. We're still not looking into the lab, right? We've gotten to this point in our discussion where you can say, okay, it's not a crazy thing to say, but still nobody's looking into the lab. And why aren't we looking to the lab? Oh, well, the Chinese Communist Party doesn't want us to. Well, that's not good enough reason not to look into it. You would never, you know, defer to the defendant you know, in, in an investigation to the suspect and say, oh, well, they don't want us to investigate, so I guess there's nothing we can do. So we just have a mounting number of voices saying we have to do this investigation, whether or not the Chinese Communist Party likes it. By the way, they're not going to like it. They're not supposed to like it. Whether or not our American friends of the lab like it, like Anthony Fauci and all these guys who have been working with these labs for 20 years, uh, it's not up to them. It's up to our government to do it, and it's up to the Congress and the American people and the media to make sure that they don't avoid doing it. So listen to Dr. Robert Redfield. Now, keep in mind, he didn't want to do this press. He did one interview on CNN, and then he did another one with Dr. Mark Siegel. And here's what you probably have not heard this. I have not heard it yet. I just read it. So let's listen together. Here he is talking about what he expected and didn't expect and what he knew and what he was told not to say. Cut 54. I didn't necessarily feel that my job was to get on nightly news every night. I felt my job was to lead... 23,000 people at CDC to respond to this pandemic all around the world. Um, so I wasn't, you know, it wasn't really, Sanjay asked me the question, he just asked me what my opinion was, was my professional opinion, um, and was that I thought it was more likely that the ponderance of evidence was that it came from the lab. I didn't expect that to be shocking, you know. I sure didn't expect the next day to have the, Washington, the Baltimore Sun for three consecutive days try to ruin my reputation. Uh, start a campaign that it was proof that I was a racist and that I was anti-Asian. 
spent bulk of his life uh, working on AIDS. Doesn't usually uh, fit the criteria. So uh, what do you think about that? That's very similar to well, what you were saying. No one was bringing this up. You bring it up, and all of a sudden you're vilified, and your Facebook account is frozen. Right, only a couple of months ago, and all of a sudden now it's a plate to say in the chattering class that we should look into the labs, which is obvious. And, you know, the fact is that Robert Redfield is a virologist, and, you know, Anthony Fauci is not a virologist. He's an immunologist. And Peter Daszak, the head of the EcoHealth Alliance, he's a zoologist. He's not a virologist. So this is the only virologist at the top of the U.S. government during the outbreak who's seen all the intelligence. And even he can't say his basic opinion without getting attacked. But here we are. Now he can say it without getting attacked. So what are we going to do about it? You know, you've had this struggle inside the government for a year for whether it's not it's okay to talk about the lab leak theory. Okay, that's resolved. Now we have this excruciating period of, in the mainstream media where like, Oh well, we we sh we were right to be wrong, and now we're wrong to be right. And who's to blame for the fact that we were wrong for a year? And what did I tweet in March 2020? And it just drives me nuts, Brian. I can't tell you how much this drives me nuts because it's just the media navel gazing and looking and trying to excuse themselves for not asking questions. Right? What are we supposed to be doing? What's our job? It's to ask questions and to hold people in pow power to account. And the, we failed. All we failed for. 18 months. And now that we finally realize we failed, we're spending all of our time just talking about how we didn't fail. It's crazy. Okay. Back to the point. We have to look into these labs. That means the U.S. government has to do it. That means they can't pawn it off to the WHO like the G7 tried to do just a couple of days ago. That means they can't have a secret investigation by the IC where they don't tell us what's going on. It means that we've got to see all the documents. It means that these guys like Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins, the head of the NIH, need to respond to the requ congressional requests that they're thwarting right now. Why won't they answer the questions that are there right now? Brian, did you see the CNN report today about HHSIG, invest Inspector General's investigation no. into the NIH? Breaking news. Uh, they announced the, the Inspector General supposed to be overseeing the, the HHS department and the NIH. Finally, they're going to investigate all of their contracts, you know, including the ones with these Wuhan labs, to which I say, great, but what the heck took you so long? It's been 18 months. So whether or not the U.S. government, you know, takes this seriously, whether or not the WHO makes any progress, by the way, they're not, uh, this is never ends, okay? People are going to want to know why 3 million people died. 600,000 Americans dead, okay? Someone, we're going to need answers. It's not racist to ask it's not the lab theory is not crazy. It just needs to be checked out. And, you know, we can check out the other theory, too, if they want to keep looking for that magic pangolin or palm civet or raccoon dog or whatever. The one that Robert Redfield just said doesn't exist. Go ahead. Look for that, too. But someone else is going to have to look at look into all these labs. What are the Biden people telling you? You have great contacts there uh, with Washington yeah. Post. So what are they saying? Well, it's, it's, it's really crazy because first they were like, what should we do? How can we if the Chinese are not going to let us in? What are we going to do? And I, was, and I said to them, well, you have to exert pressure on the Chinese because no defendant is going to – suspect is going to let you investigate without any leverage, without, you know, just on their good graces. They're like, oh, OK. So that's when Anthony Blinken was asked on all these Sunday shows, what leverage are you actually going to bring to – force the Chinese or pressure the Chinese government to play ball, he didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't say anything. He was silent. Okay, so that's a problem. The other thing they always say is, well, the IC looked into it and they didn't find anything, to which I always respond, tell them to go dig more. Tell them to go back at it, you know, because as the New York Times showed us in that report a couple of weeks ago, uh, they didn't even check their own computers, their own intelligence on their own computers. It's in the New York Times, right? They didn't even look at their Wuhan 
lab analysis for 18 months. So I, t I keep telling the Biden political people, tell the IC to go back because obviously they did a crap job. And then don't limit it to, it to just the IC because guess what? Who else screwed up? The, uh, the IC. Okay. The, if the lab leak theory is true, it's an intelligence scandal in addition to it being a media scandal, in addition to being a science scandal. And someone's going to have to investigate that too. We're going to need to get some congressional look into how it is that you could have this network of risky labs operating in Beijing and Wuhan with the Chinese military with no oversight. You know, who was supposed to be doing the oversight? Was it Fauci? If so, why didn't he do it? If not, who was supposed to be doing it? If no one was supposed to be doing it, how can that be? And how come we didn't have any intelligence on what was going on in all these crazy, risky labs? This is what the work that needs to be done I know. in order to prevent the next pandemic. It's that serious. Our, 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 the, our lives are at stake. And, you know, the, uh, the Biden administration, I think, is all talk and no action. Frankly. So, you know, what's amazing to me is nobody in the G7 has that passion to find out the answer, yet they've been affected proportionally almost as much, if not more. And there's still economies are still not standing up. I mean, the U.K. is not going to open for another month, I don't think, because of some variant that seems to be delaying them a bit. Canada might as well be a year ago. They have not even opened up their country yet. Where's that anger and passion to get these answers? Were you surprised it didn't exist really at the G7? They're more, they're more determined to sell VWs in Germany, then they ought to get to the bottom of this. You know what, Brian? I was disappointed but not surprised for the very simple reason is that these countries know that if they call for an independent investigation into the labs or into the or origins of the pandemic at all, the Chinese government will crush their economies out of spite. And, uh, and that's what happened to Australia. They called for an independent investigation and the Chinese government crushed their beef and wine industries in the middle of a pandemic just with a snap of the finger, just for that one statement. So they don't have the power to stand up to the CCP. The only ones who do are us, the United States of America. We're the only ones. Okay. Now, of course, it's better if we do it with our allies, but they're not going to follow unless we lead. So that's why we have to lead, and that's why we're not leading. That's the biggest problem right now. I want you to comment on what, what uh, Anthony Fauci said last week. Listen. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. Is that true? It's Orwellian. It's it's weird, and it's it's really disappointing, you know, because I do think there are some bad faith attacks on Anthony Fauci, but there are some good faith attacks on him too, okay? And no one's above criticism, okay? Especially not a government employee, right? Especially not someone who's answerable to the taxpayer, and especially not someone who's been funding lots of virus research all over the world, which may have sparked the pandemic that killed 3 million people. So, <laughs> yeah. you know... It's it, it's not going to work, you know. I, I I think it, you know, it's it's meant to quell honest questioning of Fauci and, and and his friends, especially his friends, all the ones who were telling him that it might be from a lab in the private emails while they were telling the world there's no way it could be from the lab, right? The scientists who misled us, who continue to try to mislead us, including Peter, Peter Daszak and the rest, they they report up to Fauci, okay, and they all will have to be. Uh, you know, questioned, and it, it's not going to be comfortable for them. I'm not saying that they did anything wrong, but we're going to need to see those books, yeah. and we're going to need to know more about their relationship with these Wuhan labs. And that's not just Fauci, by the way. That's USAID, the Defense Department, the Homeland Security Department, the National Science Foundation, uh, you name it, the intelligence community. You would not believe how many connections we had dumping money into these Wuhan back coronavirus labs it's kind of crazy and here's the craziest part is that the plan is to dump more money into them to take more u.s taxpayer money 
1.2 billion dollars right. it's called the global virome project look it up go into your browser okay the first thing it says josh is, you're so you're so pumped up i need a three-hour joe rogan podcast with you pick up josh's book chaos, time. Uh, chaos under global heaven Call uh, your congressman by Listen the way Brian, it is a me. it is a great book even without the pandemic you learn so much about china and their ultimate goals it's scary but true josh thank you New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. I want to hear, uh, bring him some more about the Robert Redfield interview that we're rolling little by little that Dr. Mark Siegel did exclusive to our channel because remember he was head of the CDC he saw everything was basically told to keep his mouth shut um, so we talked about his reputation here he's talking about the chances of this virus coming from somewhere else besides a uh, a bat cut 51 and it is interesting when you look at the original infection route in Wuhan as the epidemiologists that have looked at it and you look at how it traces right along that subway that goes between those labs, you know, it's not, uh, it's not infeasible that this, this virus escaped asymptomatically and, and, and eventually, uh, as cases developed in the elderly, um, we began to recognize a, an epidemic. I do think, you know, you saw some more classified information, declassified, um, that showed people sick in November. There's other satellite imagery and hospitals and how their parking lots are being full and how people are moving that maybe even suggest that this might have been as early as late September, early October. And that would explain maybe how New York got hit so uh, so hard so quick. Man, imagine this thing was around in September. They told us December. So many questions. Nothing wrong with asking them. It's scary that you weren't allowed to ask it. We were. But nobody else was. one 408 7669 Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Are you waging a cyber war against America? No, 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 Where is the evidence? Where is proof? It's becoming farcical. We know it well. We have been accused of all kinds of things, election interference, cyber attacks, and so on and so forth. And not once, not once, not one time did they bother to produce any kind of evidence or proof. He doesn't even deny it. Show me the proof. He doesn't say... No, of course not. Why would I do that? Why would I kill my uh, political enemies? Why would I hack your uh, food chain? Uh, why would I uh, hurt America private industry as it relates to oil and gas? Uh, but he doesn't say it. Show me the proof that I did it. Hacked your election. They hit him with sanctions. Doesn't seem to budge. So I noticed Joe Biden tried to be, be a lot more politically correct because this time he said he's a worthy adversary. I said it was the dumbest thing ever when George Stephanopoulos walked him into a trap that a 78-year-old should not be walked into. And he said, do you think that uh, Vladimir Putin's a killer? He said, yes. You said before Vladimir, soul, uh, Vladimir Putin doesn't have a soul. Uh, do you still hold to that? Yes. So now he's a soulless killer. Can I have a summit? 
Bad move, bad move both times. To prove it, he walked it back yesterday and said he's a worthy adversary. True. So what we expect tomorrow, I'm not sure what's going to come out of this. There might be some readout there. I'm not really sure. We never really got the details when President Trump went behind closed doors and they won't have a joint setting after. We'll see if Joe Biden, if, you know, Vladimir Putin's not one to be outplayed. Since he's not going to get the dual press conference, maybe he's going to find a way to communicate that he got the better of Joe Biden regardless. Cut 21 is Molly Hemingway. She joined me on primetime last night. Joe Biden took hours to get to this press conference, and then he took like five pre-selected questions and used the opportunity to bash his fellow countrymen, because apparently for a lot of people in the leadership in the Democratic Party, the biggest enemies are the people in the opposing party. But what's more concerning than the venue of when he decided to attack his fellow Americans is that he's just wrong. I mean, the Republican Party is at record levels in terms of it's had more people voting for it than ever before. There were 10 million plus new voters uh, in this election that he just won. They the Democrats lost seats in the House. Republicans gained seats in the House. And these ideas that the Republican Party is talking about, this new look at foreign policy and focusing on the American worker, are actually quite popular. And I think he knows that. And that's why he's trying to denigrate these things. And what do you think when they talk about signing on to green jobs and get rid of the uh, combustion engine? What do you think that does to people in that business? When you talk about, uh, they said unabated coal is going to be targeted. Okay. But coal plants uh, are sustaining the life for many people in this country, which sustains the grids that powers the electric cars. Senator Tom Cotton, Cut24. I guess you could say that it's good that NATO finally recognized that China is at least a challenge. But if Russia is a threat, China is the threat to the United States and to the free world. And our, Europe, our European allies need to recognize that threat China poses. But instead, you've got Angela Merkel watering down these communiques from NATO and the G7 because she wants to sell more BMWs and Volkswagens into Germany. She wants to keep German markets open. All these European leaders want Chinese money to come, continue to come flooding into their countries, all at the risk of our shared common security. And Joe Biden simply did not push hard enough for our European allies to recognize China as the leading threat that we face and that the free world faces. It's true, and that's the problem with multilateralism. It's good on paper. It's good to have friends, but they're never going to see from your point of view. But your goal, President Biden and President Trump and President Bush and future presidents down the line, maybe President Tom Cotton, will be what's in the best interest of the American people. That's what you're hired to do. That's what you're hired to do. Keep your allies close, but your goal has to be with, with, for America and for them not to recognize that China's the threat it is and to water down statements is not good. And that's what should have come out of that press conference. Not what about January 6th and what does the rest of the world think about what happened there? Meanwhile, on the, this is what they tell us is going to be on the agenda for uh, Putin and uh, Putin and, uh, and Joe Biden, nuclear stability, climate change. He must just roll his eyes on that. Cybersecurity and imprison U.S. and Russian nationals. Cybersecurity will be big. Uh, they hit us once. We've got to hit them twice. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. I love this story. Republicans are demanding criminal charges for whoever leaked files showing billionaires, including Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and George Soros, uh, don't pay anything in income taxes. Not that they don't pay anything, but you don't pay taxes on wealth that you earned the previous year just because there is no wealth tax in America. 
stuck, and there shouldn't be. Uh, Jeff Bezos' income tax was zero in 2007 and 2011. Uh, Musk paid no income tax in 2018. Bottom line is, it should be private. Next. Nearly three in four parents are so desperate for sleep, they are sneaking time for naps during the day. More than two in five, 44% of parents struggle to fall asleep at night. Three in four, 72%, are so desperate for rest, they'll try to sneak a nap around now. So I'll whisper. Out of 2,000 parents with children under 18, 46% say their kids are the main reason they can never fall asleep. That's just part of it. Does not surprise me at all. When you were, when you had your children, when they were younger than, you know, when they were little, were you, was it tough for you to fall asleep, like it says in the survey, my, especially my, if they were yeah. sick? Yeah, it's tough uh, for me to fall asleep, but I'm kind of odd. I'm up at 2.30 anyway, so you could not uh, stun me. Whenever you had to get up in the middle of the night, I've seen it all before doing a morning show. Next, a growing number of people online are urging the world's wealthiest man, Jeff Bezos, to buy Leonardo da Vinci's famous Mona Lisa painting and eat it. Nobody has eaten the Mona Lisa, and we feel Jeff Bezos needs to take a stand to make this happen. Reads one single sentence. Uh, this quoting an online petition by this guy named Kane Powell and signed by over 4,500 people. The multi-billionaire recently announced they'll be one of the first civilians to fly into space. I don't think that'll happen. Yeah, no, I mean, beyond the fact that you can uh, get poisoning from eating uh, that painting. Right. Uh, ancient paintings. Uh, bad moods lead to bad habits in two and five adults. A new study finds your bad day will probably result in an extra trip to the refrigerator later on. Americans are more likely to turn to food as a mood booster. For the most popular food they search for, half of all respondents choose sweet treats with salty snacks a distant second. So what's your go-to food if you're a little upset? Caesar salad. That's me. I didn't make the study. Next, music at bedtime can leave listeners with earworms. I don't even think this is real, but Baylor University did this study. Earworms are involuntary music imagery, are songs or tunes which keep replaying over and over in a person's mind. While these annoying melodies usually happen during the day, the Baylor team discovered they keep triggering the brain while someone uh, someone is unconscious. The study finds people who experience earworms at night more than once a week are six times more likely to have poor sleep quality. Earworms, I guess, are not actual worms. No, they're not. So what is it? What do you do when you go to sleep? Do you listen to music? Do you have the TV on? What's your... Uh... Uh, TV on, but I'm, getting, I'm growing out of it. I'm beginning to fall asleep. I call... I usually just collapse. Uh, that's how John... And I wake up... To, do you fall asleep to news or to, do you... I'm to, not uh... sure. That's too personal. <laughs> Next. UK extends COVID-19 restrictions as Delta variant spreads. They are going to be locked down for more weeks. You got to be kidding me. You got the vaccine... Don't worry about the variant. Let people live their lives. If I'm if I'm in Canada or England, I am beside myself right now. We will never be locked down again. I've decided that unilaterally. So let it be written, so let it be done, according yes. to Brian Kilmeade. When we come back, Joe Theismann's going to be joining us. He's a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He's going to weigh in on paying players. Is it inevitable in college? There's a real danger to that, as well as what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. And he is so well-read, he'll even talk about what's happening in Washington. And the Redskins, oops, I mean the Washington Football Club. Don't move. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Should the players get paid? Players are already getting paid. You got to remember that. They're getting their scholarship. Plus, they're getting, most of them are getting six, seven, eight hundred dollars cash a month for what we call cost of attendance. Nobody's going hungry as a right. college athlete, men and women. But it is, should always be about education. If we get away from that, now we're going to lose it. This is not farm 
minor league sports. It is education. Kids have an opportunity to play. It gives millions of kids an opportunity to play something. That, after that, that's the last time they'll ever play. So at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it should be about education. Well, that's very interesting. That is Senator Tommy Tumberville, former coach of the University of uh, Auburn. And there's a big concern that people are going to lose sight of what made college football college football. We like that student-athletes, even though, you know, it's tough for them to go to school, we get the demands they have on Division One top-level play. We do think that they represent a college in tradition. If you just make it AAA football, then I don't think people are going to be that interested. If they're playing for their school and their tradition. You go out when you uh, play for Notre Dame, you think about Joe Theismann and Joe Montana, if you just say, hey, guys, you're all getting paid a lot of money, go out and play, we're going to look at it differently, I think. What does Joe Theismann think? Super Bowl-winning quarterback, author of How to Be a Champion Every Day, Six Timeless Keys to Success, and Joe is always uh, uh, Joe is always great on just about a myriad of issues. Joe, you don't even have to talk football, do you? Uh, well, <laughs> it's always fun to do it, Brian, it's sort of like as a, a diversion from everything else that else, else that's going on in the world, but it's uh, it's always great to catch up with you. I can talk golf. We can talk golf too if you want. No, I know, but will. I'm just saying you're so well read. You don't, you know, you don't leave. A, it's not well, either football or a dial tone. You can go anywhere. But I know you're playing at the what? American Century Celebrity American Century Celebrity Golf Championship in Lake Tahoe, July 9th to 11th, uh, right. and the Golf Channel will cover this, right? They are Golf Channel, NBC, NBCSN. Uh, it'll be on different portions of it. There's some pro-ams before, and you know, one of our guys, Brett Bear, is. Uh, I- I'm I'm thinking he has a shot at it this year. I mean, there's some great golfers out there. Mark Mulder, Smoltz's played on. John Smoltz played on the Champions Tour. Uh, Marty Fish won it last year. Marty's always in the top, but I wouldn't count Brett out. I mean, he, I first time he came out there, I really didn't know he could play. Then I watched him play, and I went, wow. This man's got a game. So uh, it's, it's a great opportunity. But I do want to talk just a little bit about American Century, who was the sponsor. 45% of their net profits go to the Stour Institute for Research on Diseases and Cures. And it's just an incredible commitment by the company to do everything they can to be able to make life better for as many people as they possibly can. It's, it's an honor to have them as a sponsor. Right, and especially if uh, Brett Bear wins, it'll be good for uh, Fox, especially it goes to a good cause. Uh, <laughs> it's great. I, you know, I, Joe, I just don't want you so intimidated by Brett that you don't play, right? I don't want you to be no, like, if I can't I'm, beat Brett, I'm, I don't want to play. I'm flying out with him, so I'm going to see if I can, you know, maybe step on a toe or a finger <laughs> or something, slow, slow him down a little bit, but no, it's uh, it's a great op. You know what it is, Bry. It's a chance to be able to be around some of the greatest people. I know Larry the Cable Guy is on, and just an incredible amount of people. Charles Barkley's heart is as big as he is. When the fires were going on out there, he threw a big party for everybody. I mean, we have such wonderful people that are participating, and some terrific women. You know, Catherine Tappan's playing, Kira Dixon. Okay, uh, just a couple, and so we've got a whole bunch of different types of people: athletes, actors. Um, celebrities, musicians. It's just a wonderful chance to get to meet people in a different environment than you would normally see them. So, uh, so Joe, a couple of things. You heard Tommy Tuberville start this segment. I think this is where college football is heading. To a degree, there's got to be a little bit of fairness. If Joe Theismann it comes from a, a working-class background and they're selling Joe Theismann jerseys in, at the Notre Dame bookstore, should there be a way that Joe Theismann, who, let's say in theory you don't go pro, and you weren't zillionaires back then when you were playing anyway. Should be there a way for Joe Theismann to make some profit off his name that Notre Dame is making? 
There is a way, Brian, and I've said this time and time again, and I appreciate you giving me a chance to be able to say this. What they need to do, what would be fair to sort of solve the problem of paying the athlete. First of all, the problem is who do you pay? Secondly, who pays the athlete? Thirdly, you're going to create division. If you've got a quarterback, let's say, that's getting paid by a car dealership or somebody to do an endorsement, that doesn't mean that that doesn't serve well, I think, the college environment. And it, it's certainly not going to go over well with your teammates. But what you do is you establish a trust. Set it up just like we do with our jerseys. Same deal. You get a percentage of the sale of your jersey. I do it today, as a matter of fact, still. And what you do is you put that money in a trust. So when that athlete leaves school, whether they go pro or they graduate or they decide, whatever it might be, that money becomes theirs. Understanding full well that it is taxable income. See, you just get, I mean, who gets paid? Division one, division two, division three, men, women, what sport gets paid, what sport doesn't get paid. This thing is, I think Tommy's right. It's a can of worms that just, if you open this up, who knows who's going to wind up greasing people's pockets? Oh, I know. And then you're going to, we know it's going, going on anyway. Ath- you, you're going to you, the division two, division three. So you're going to lose athletes because somebody wanted to pay them more money. Isn't there anything? Isn't there anything sacred anymore in this country? So Education Joe, would, is important. I know, but you know what people don't realize fully is, um, especially in New York, is very more pro oriented. But around the country. I like Auburn because I remember the tradition. I like the fact that they were at school and I might see him in class. If you just tell me these are the next best players, young, young up-and-coming players, I'm not that interested. You know, I'm not in, there's some great athletes in AAA, in baseball. I'm not that interested. You know, sure. I'm, I'm interested in major leagues. But you tell me it's college and you tell me that there's some parameters and rules in their student athletes, even though that's a stretch when it comes to these high level programs like Alabama and Notre Dame, although Notre Dame the kids actually go to school. Uh, Joe, I think that people lose it. They, they're, they're pushing the envelope. They, you know, Brian, the thing is, too, is, as you said this before, the rigors of an of a athlete in college are not that great that they sacrifice your ability to be able to go to class. And if you need more time, you have tutors available to you or even study halls or other ways to be able to improve your academic status. Um, keep in mind, there's a rule in college football, and I believe this is great. You're only allowed to, to be with the coaches 20 hours a week. Yeah. So you're, you're very limited in the amount of time that you actually spend working on your trade. And like I said to me, if you want to, if you want to have somebody uh, be rewarded for having a Jersey sold, then set up a trust for them. Got and then when, it, when, they leave, when they leave the program, then give them the money. So they are getting something from basically they're benefiting from their, mm-hmm. their skills and their ability in whatever profession it is. And then when the school is over, right. then they can go and, and, and reap the benefit. Last question. But they shouldn't do it while they're in school. Aaron Rodgers, I don't think he's going back to the Packers. Uh, what do you think? I originally thought that they'd work something out. Now I sort of agree with you. I, I think that there's been such turmoil created. Uh, you know, Aaron is, I think, digging his heels in. The Packers don't want to get rid of him, but they may be forced to. What he's basically saying, Brian, is he's saying, listen, you traded up. We needed we needed more help than just a quarterback last year. Not this year, in 2020 draft. And you went and, and traded up for Jordan Love. You liked him so much. You wanted him so much. You went and got him. So he's yours now. Let me go someplace else. And I, I do think... 
and I listened to some of the comments, you know, I listened to one comment that just drove me crazy. And that was somebody in the Packer organization said that Aaron Rodgers is our quarterback for the foreseeable future. How do you make that statement about the MVP of the national football league about a guy for the last couple of years that's had you knocking on the door of a Super Bowl, And he's done it a large part on his, you know, without a lot of people around. I mean, you know, he's had one or two receivers. He's had a, a good solid running game. Their defense has been, you know, it's been good at times. It's, it's struggled at yeah. times. Aaron's been a constant for them. And who I really feel bad for, Bry, is Matt LaFleur, the coach. He is caught in the middle of this blender. And he doesn't, I mean, what do you do? You've got somebody that now would be in his third year with you. He really understands you and understands what you're trying to do. And on the other side, now you can't even get him into camp to help the, the development of it. I just, mm. you know, I just don't see him. I don't see him going back. I think there's so much bad blood right now. I know. And and people know that they can play in their late 30s and 40s thanks to Tom Brady. Joe Theismann, thanks so much. American Century Celebrity Golf Championship in Lake Tahoe, July 9th through 11th. Appreciate it. We'll see you tonight at 7 on Primetime. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to this show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.